Hi, my name is Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. We are going to have so much fun together. I hope that our conversations about pleasure light you up. And I hope they inspire you to reclaim your desires and create more space in your day to bring pleasure into your work, your family life, and yes, even your sex life. We will practice and explore the art of pleasure together. Let's play. Hello, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe. I'm the host of the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast, and I'm so glad you're here. We're a few weeks into the podcast, and I'm so grateful to all of my listeners and subscribers. So I wanted to start by saying thank you to everybody who has embraced this idea of pleasure and has trusted me to hold the space uh, to talk about it. So gratitude to you. In a moment, I'm going to introduce you to a fantastic person, Kit Murray Maloney. And I'm very excited to introduce you to her. But I want to set the stage and set the scene for what will likely be some vulnerable, raw, seemingly taboo conversation that's full of pleasure and also empowerment. So I fully trust Kit to hold this space and I trust Kit as a person. So I'm just going to put it out there. My name is Pasha. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a highly sensitive, anxious person who struggles with ADD. I identify as bisexual, but have no evidence to back up that claim. I mainly enjoy solo sex and usually I identify as just tired. I live in rural Maine on a dirt road with my husband and my third child, who is unfortunately chronically ill. So I am always in a state of, frankly, uncertainty and grief and trying to find ways to access pleasure throughout it all. So I think these conversations are incredibly important because as I know, everybody listening is going through something. And so finding ways to sprinkle pleasure into even those more difficult days is really important to me. So with that being said... Kit Murray Maloney is a pleasure activist, an academic who received her master's in gender and social policy, an entrepreneur, the founder of Oh Actually and the Pleasure Pledge. And lately, or most recently, I should say, she created Katara, which is handcrafted vaginal steaming sauna tools. I don't know. I don't I'm going to learn all the languaging. Just like you all, I'm going to come into this with a beginner's mind, totally curious and open-minded. So, we are going to learn and unlearn a whole lot of shit today. Welcome, Kit. Thank you. Thank you, Pasha. Thank you, listener. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. And here's the funny thing, which I just think is really funny. I can see Kit's house from my window right now. And in a normal world, Kit and I would be hanging out, right? Hi, hanging out in our living room, talking, or or maybe even taping this actually next to each other. But we're in COVID times, and it's February 2021 for reference. And um, and we're going to do this via Zoom. So I'm excited to see you, and and you, your house looks amazing from the outside, and now I get to see it from the inside too. So welcome, welcome to Maine, welcome to the neighborhood, welcome to the podcast. 
Sasha, thank you so much. You have been such a welcomer to Maine, to community here, and deepening in these great conversations around the importance of pleasure and looking at our womb space as not only a area of our body that is in a lot of need often for healing, but is also a conduit in and of itself to healing and our highest potential, I believe. So I'm super excited to be here and really grateful for you in the world and in my life. Thank you. Thank you, Kit. You have an, like, if I were to do my life over, I would probably try to get a master's in gender and social policy and go on to just study pleasure from my 20s, not wait till my 50s. So I'm so intrigued and interested to know how you came to those studies in those places. Yeah. Um, so, right. My actual entry point was through my teen years realizing how, or understanding actually, that the world living in a female bodied form can be, if not is inevitably in our current times, a really dangerous predicament to be in. And so I had gone to an all girls school in Boston since I was a little girl up through senior year in in high school. And I was getting ready to go to college. And that's when I first learned about the incidences of sexual assault on college campuses. And I was 17 years old in 1999. And I was, you told me I could swear. So listeners, I will. I was bullshit about it. I was like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. You have been grooming us for all these years to go to these elite institutions. And now you're telling me that a quarter of my friends and I are going to be assaulted while we're there. Mm. And in that experience, I felt also very silenced. Um, and told that I was too much for bringing this forth. Um, and that also really not only pissed me off, but then it actually, um, it saddened me to a point of at that point touching depression because mm-hmm. I could not reconcile um, the celebration of what we had accomplished with the reality of what we were going into. Um, and so the summer before starting college, um, I did have a very astute aunt who took me out to lunch that August and said like, whoa, what's going on with you? Like there's a nervousness around going to college and then there's what you're going through and it seems more intense. Mm -hmm. And I explained to her, nobody's listening to me. (laughs) Um, And I don't understand. I cannot reconcile this statistic. And I've really looked into it. Like it's fact. Um, and so she was very gracious, alarmed, concerned. It's still to this day, 20 years later, something that we don't expect our teens to be grappling with. Um, even though I really encourage our whole society to release this taboo many, 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 many years later, we have, of course, the Me Too movement, which so powerful and has opened access to further dialogue around the commonplace nature of sexual violence in our culture. Um, but we weren't yet there. It was 1999. And I walked onto my college campus, therefore, knowing after this conversation with my aunt that I was going to be as engaged as possible as I could be as a student advocate for victims and survivors of sexual violence on campus. And so my whole college existence was very much informed by this work. Um, I started out my first weeks as a college student 
um, figuring out what groups I wanted to be a part of, um, was leading several of them by my second semester of my first year. And then I was myself was assaulted um, the summer between my first year and sophomore year in college. And at that point, a huge identity had been taken from me, not only in this place that is so much part of the experience of assault where you don't feel like yourself, but I also had taken this claim on being an advocate who had not yet experienced sexual violence and was asked repeatedly, why do you care so much? Why do you care so much? And I said, we can't leave this onto just victims and survivors. We all have to be a part of this. This is a collective trauma and a collective assault. Um, and then I had my own individual experience with it. Mm -hmm. And chose at that point, whether it was, it was a mixture of conscious and subconscious choosing to not come forward. It was too intense for me at that point to be able to reconcile this identity shift um, and kept at the work and had these moments though, that it became too much for me to hold whilst knowing my own truth. And so I would be in and out of the work. Um, and I got myself to this wonderful master's program in gender and social policy at London School of Economics after I graduated from Colorado College and um, loved it so much, loved the theory, loved the coursework, still has informed so much of my belief system and awareness in the world. Um, and then my dissertation was about sexual assault. And I went into this almost literal like library hole. I mean, I had like a cubby that I lived in for two months as I was writing. Um, and from there, I needed to bounce back again because I still hadn't integrated my own experience. And so I started working for a drinks company of all things, a wonderful British company called Fever Tree that makes all natural tonic waters. Um, and I worked for them for three years before realizing that, no, I was meant to be here to do something to advance women's health and women's sexuality. And because I had not yet integrated my own experiences, I was also very clear that I could no longer talk about violence all day, every day. Um, and that I had this hypothesis, could I talk about pleasure all day, every day? And I thought that was worth me exploring. I was pretty sure I could do it. What I was not prepared for was that the entrepreneur's journey is one of deep, deep excavation of truth. <laughs> and as I sought to cling on to this desire to talk about pleasure all day, every day, I was invited into the healing process of my trauma. Um, and that kept happening over and over again. And so through amazing support, I came to share my story to go down the healing path and to reconcile my own experiences. And much of that actually ended up transpiring through using pleasure for healing. Mm -hmm. um, for coming back to myself, reclaiming my body through solo sex and orgasm. And that has forever shifted my life and opened the expansiveness of possibility of healing through the most divine connected. I mean, there's a reason you call things orgasmic experience. It's because they're explosions of joy mm -hmm. and that we can look at the darkest aspects of our being and bring in that level of intense light and ecstasy as a way to integrate and heal is pure magic to me. So that was a huge piece of my early story and going from academic to entrepreneur. Um, and then from the pleasure work was introduced to a variety of holistic healing modalities, one of which has been yoni steaming. 
um, which is a company that I started to support Yoni Steaming once we moved to Maine just a little bit ago. Um, it has been really fun to explore. So that was a lot. I'm happy to. <laughs> what did I ask? No, okay. on threads, but you said be vulnerable. So that's me. Hello, I'm Kit. <laughs> no, I, I love it. And you have such an infectious laugh. It's great. And you laugh at all of my jokes. So I love it. Um, I, it's interesting because you came to your study of pleasure through, by way of trauma. And as did I, and I'm wondering if that's true for a lot of people who, who study pleasure activism. Have you seen that in your practice? Well, I mean, I have. So I had a podcast um, that was all about pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it literally was called the pleasure podcast. Oh, actually it's pleasure podcast. And <laughs> I kept that, thinking, that was you, you took it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somebody's already doing that. I got it. Um, and I kept having these incredible guests come to me and share their trauma journeys. Yeah. And it created a ton of tension and anxiety in me because I had realized I had set myself up for this tension point of saying and meaning that I would be honest and open with my community, but then also had not yet been honest and open with myself around the trauma I had experienced. Mm -hmm. And so when I was having these interviews, I lived in this fear Mm -hmm. that somebody would ask me about my experience with assault Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't know how to answer. I mean, I literally wouldn't. It, mm-hmm. it, it was the trauma, like, to me, in my mind, it feels like a record skipping. It's yeah. that trauma loop, and you just yeah. can't get out of it to make any sort of logical sense of what's happened um, and how to reconcile the day-to-day and the past and present. And so um, it was actually after an amazing interview with a woman, Anita Kopach, that I had. I had the the breakdown to breakthrough moment um, where she herself was somebody who had navigated trauma and come out into this reveal of wholeness and truth that I admired so deeply and could palpably see. And I think this is why I welcome so many of these conversations and the work that you're doing, because when I was growing up, um, this is not to, not to add any more shame or blame. It's my experience. I perceived victims and survivors in an energetic of still fighting. And there's a lot for us to work on in the world, but the energy of fight is one that I'm in deep inquiry around. Um, I think fighting to end violence is a irony that needs to be explored. Um, and through Anita and other women, they've come into this wholeness that I find incredibly enticing. And of course has always been there, right? Like it's the myth, the myth is that we're broken. We're always whole, but the journey back to through healing is to get back to that place of truth and awareness of our innate wholeness. And in her and others, I saw that. And that was when I thought, it might actually be worth it to look at this Mm. (laughs) because I, that's a destination point. Not that there's ever a final destination point, but that is a destination point that I want to get to that I, that I feel is, is potentially worth going through the deep, deeply challenging work of healing. Um, so I want to honor that. Like when I say that pleasure and orgasm was my route towards healing, that is true. Mm-hmm. And what is also true is that it was excruciatingly painful at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is resonating so much, especially when you said journey back to wholeness, 
because it still haven't quite put into words how facing the possibility of my son dying, did I get to the place of pleasure and laughter? But it was an existential moment of what is life all about? And returning to my birthrights and his and realizing really for the first time, embarrassingly, that pleasure is my birthright and that joy is our birthright and that we can learn to access them and where we could decide to access them, even if we haven't for most of our lives. And uh, so I, I, I just feel that on such a deep level that that returning to wholeness being part of your, part of your journey. That's yeah. beautiful. You. That's beautiful. Do you find that um, just in regards to orgasm and partner or solo sex that past sexual traumas are one of the main reasons people um, struggle with sexual pleasure and, and orgasms in general, just a trigger or the, um, I mean, I think so many of us, again, like in college before the me too movement, I had this, I, I, I would say one in one, um, because it was technically one in four, um, women in college are sexually assaulted. And I was like, you know what, I've been doing this work and I've been living it and in it. And my lived experience of it is not one in four, it's one in one. There is a story and we're being too narrow in our um, interpretation of what violence is and trauma is if we say one in four. Um, And so I think it is challenging because in some ways there is absolutely an importance to exploring levels of trauma. On the other hand, there's a lot of research to show that it doesn't matter. The actual act is a lot less predictive of impact than on when somebody had access to healing and how that person experienced that act and aggression against them. Mm -hmm. Um, In our litigious patriarchal society, we don't see it like that. Um, We have different, literally encodified law degrees of violence. And there's an assumption there that that gets mapped on into degrees of trauma. Um, That is a false assumption. Mm -hmm. Um, You can have a quote unquote, second degree sexual assault that can equate to grabbing a body part um, that can lead and be a truth of embodied trauma that can carry with somebody for decades um, and result in a lot of embodied stagnation and fear and disease and disease um, in just the ways that all sorts of quote unquote more violent attacks may yield. Um, so I think that we it's important for us to acknowledge that we live in a collective trauma that we are all in some degree negotiating and navigating our own trauma, no matter the extreme or quote unquote degree in which that trauma has yet been experienced. Um, And that, yeah, it is manifest into dissociation a lot. Um, And so particularly we live in a culture that denigrates women's bodies. Um, And so it is an act of, revolution and activism to be present within our bodies and a conduit to orgasm is almost always some level of presence in our bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that can be incredibly challenging when we're also navigating the culture and our own lived experiences um, and can be a very understandable block to that joy. Absolutely. And what do you recommend people do 
as they move through that stress cycle of, of trauma to get to the point where they can be present in orgasm. Do you have any uh, specific practices or tools that you recommend? Well, so this is my journey into embodiment practices. Um, And so it is a collective. I do not believe that there is one tool, that there is one moment in time that you are going to experience healing. And then that is the end point destiny. Mm -hmm. It is a practice of bringing embodiment into one's life in in the way that in the (laughs) non-linear, open-hearted way that the feminine guides us into. And I say feminine, I don't mean women. I mean feminine energy that all bodies can experience and that really celebrates the nonlinear aspects of healing. Um, Yoni steaming is one of these many embodiment practices that has come into importance for me. Um, I was deeply skeptical deeply skeptical. I cannot say that enough. Um, even after being years and years and years into what other people would have thought was skeptical and taboo. <laughs> um, so if you're skeptical, yeah, you can understand so it. I have permission to be skeptical. I was a big old eye roll to it. So <laughs> if that's coming up for you, I get it, truly. Um, and, and then I looked at it and was like, wow, Kit, like, this skepticism usually has something to do about where you're withholding yourself back mm-hmm. from your own healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're scared in kind of that ego sense of like, there could be something really here for me. And we're a little bit wanting to stay in our own safety net. Right. Um, and so how can I bring some more curiosity to this? And that's what led me into Yoni Steamy. It was really like the level of skepticism brought intrigue to a yes. different aspect of myself. <laughs> well- this is a beautiful segue because I'm just going to assume that there's some listeners out there that are like, what is she saying? What is that? Is she saying honey, yoni, moni? What is she saying? So Y-O-N-I, yoni, what is it? What are you talking about? So good point too, because I was also even skeptical of the word yoni. Right. So yoni is a Sanskrit word. It is a word that is used to encompass you know, there's no exact translation. I tend to think of it as womb space. Womb space is a word that I'm really feeling resonant with now because I don't believe that womb space is, I would believe womb space is an energy um, and it doesn't need to map onto a physical body. Um, And so it feels particularly even more welcoming to trans women. Trans women absolutely have womb space all beings have womb space. It's an energy that you can connect into. Beautiful. Yoni is a word in which it's like a bridge word for me to all of this um, because Yoni means sacred gateway. Mm. I'm like, yes. <laughs> like I just feel in my body, like when we're talking about the womb space, like saying sacred gateway is this like exhale and like tingling through my body. Vagina has Latin roots and means sheath holder. What is that? I mean, <laughs> that's not nearly as, <laughs> as eloquent. It's very, very clinical. Yes. Um, it is, it is to hold the male body part. Um, okay. And, and that's it. And it doesn't encompass the holistic truth of mm. this energy. Um, and so Yoni isn't just about the vaginal canal. It isn't just about the clitoris. It isn't just about the vulva and the labia Mm -hmm. or the uterus and the fallopian tubes. It is 
all of it. And I think that that is why it is such a beautiful word for us now. It can bring up some stuff. It's brought up some interesting conversations about cultural appropriation and what does it mean for me to take this word from a part of the country that I don't have any blood lineage to. On the other hand, I do believe that a mentor of mine who does have blood lineage to India like has gifted it and there's permission there. On the other hand, is it my responsibility to try to dig back and dig back into my own indigeneity so that I can reveal what words might feel even more resonant with me and my body? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Have I been able to come up with that word yet? No. Um, Am I playing with womb space? Absolutely. Is this all imperfect under patriarchy? Fuck yes. So we're doing our best. (laughs) And Yoni to me, again, is this beautiful gift of a bridge back to a deeper sense of acknowledgement of what this area of our bodies can hold for us Mm -hmm. and the sacredness, Mm -hmm. um, the sacredness that's within, the sacredness that's available to us through the nurturance of the space. Um, And so Yoni steaming is the very simple act of sitting over warm water, heated water, often with very particular herbs put into that water to help that person with any specific ailments that they're looking to heal. Um, And so it's an ancient practice that goes back thousands and thousands of years. It can be traced back to all lands across the globe, which means that it is our birthright lineage of all peoples. Um, Some of us have been fractured from it for more generations than others. It is incredibly important to acknowledge my gratitude to my teachers, Black women and Indigenous women of Turtle Island and this United States, um, who were not as severed from it being passed down through their maternal bloodlines as I have been as a European woman. Um, So we're learning collectively, we're learning how to embrace these traditions and reconnect. Um, I am learning through the actual practice. Um, It is a practice of remembrance. These ancient practices, though we have denigrated, um, there's a reason they've survived. You know, Mm -hmm. humans don't keep doing things for thousands of years that don't work. You just don't. So, so acupuncture and yoga and all the other practices. And like we in the West like get surprised or like amazed that they work. And that amazement carries with it some pretty messed up condescension, I I find. Um, even though I have it within myself, you know, but it's like, yeah, guess what? (laughs) These practices that have survived and yes, they're important. And let's look at them and let's see how we can hold a desire to understand them better whilst also bringing our trust and reverence to them. Yes. And when we first met, you were so carefully and mindfully, beautifully um, traveling back and forth, um, seemingly on a weekly basis to make sure that it was handcrafted in exactly the way you wanted it to be. So it would be a beautiful, sacred art piece as well as the, the sauna. And so when I finally saw a picture of it, cause I had no idea what I was imagining in my head. I saw a picture. I said, that looks like a, a wooden Waldorf toy or my <laughs> Pilates chair. I'm like, this is so interesting. Um, so it was different than what I thought. And so simple, which is beautiful in its design, how simple it is. But then I, I remember thinking, well, now how was this different than me sitting in a bathtub full of herbs or essential oils or anything else that is, um, healing to me. 
Yeah. So beautiful. So Pasha, what you're talking about is the work I did to create a Yoni steam sauna, which is also known as a Yoni steam seat, um, which just makes it easier and probably safer to be positioned over the heated water. Um, So once I went and learned about Yoni steaming, was super skeptical, was driving home being like, oh my God, we're doing this now. What the F? Da, da, da. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, wow, you're really, something in you is kicked up. Um, let's look at that. And I booked an appointment um, with a practitioner. This is when I was living in Colorado and she was so amazing. And I did this Yoni steam and I was like, oh my God, I like released this trauma I had like, hadn't had access to. And it was just this like incredible incredible experience. Um, and then I realized on the physical level that my cramps were so much less. And I was just like, Holy smokes, this is way beyond what I had initially thought was possible, Mm -hmm. even in my skepticism when I thought almost nothing was possible. Um, Mm -hmm. and then my practitioner moved to Hawaii. I was like, ah, so, (laughs) so I was looking for somebody else to work with on the Yoni, Yoni steam front and couldn't find one local. And so decided to study myself. Um, and become a practitioner. And when I got to the end of that to really learn how to steam for myself, I realized I wanted all the gear. I was like, I'm ready. I'm totally in, you know, like it's like when you're in a place with yoga or Pilates, you're like, get me the pants and the blocks and the mat. And like, I want all the things. Um, and there wasn't, I couldn't figure out where to get all the things. (laughs) So I decided to start Katara, um, as that brand so that when people were looking for, beautiful, safe, supportive products to nurture their yoni steam practice, they could come to a place, Katara, and find them. Um, so you and need the seat, but the seat makes it a more pleasant, comfortable. Seat. To me, the analogy for me with the seat is the yoga mat. Okay. You need a yoga mat? No, not at all. Does it make it a little bit safer, more comfortable, more likely that you're going to practice yoga, part of the ritual? Absolutely. This podcast is sponsored by Krista Hoppala, sexologist and consciousness guide. I am proud to say that Krista is my own personal sexologist, the woman I turn to when I need to refresh my own pleasure practices. I highly recommend her to my clients and friends. Her website is kristahoppala.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-H-A-A-P-A-L-A.com. Lots of A's, or as I say, lots of ahs. It's all pleasure with this woman. Check her out. And it's beautiful or colorful. You it's choose your design. Into like the vibe, like you know, you're doing yoga. Like you're just, I'm on my piece, and it's not necessary. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so it's it's all of that, and then like, and then I have analogies for the blocks, and and the yoga teacher is the vaginal steam practitioner. You know, you okay. don't need a yoga teacher to instruct you how to breathe and move, and then when you deepen into your practice, you realize that you can unlock so much more from your yoga practice with some guidance into mm-hmm. how to best do yoga for you and your body. Mm-hmm. Same thing for the so There's probably a YouTube video on how to do it, but it's better if they call somebody like exactly, you. Exactly. Exactly. Elements. Right. And, and trust the path there. You know, like we, we do this, we get into yoga and then you get frustrated and think it's not working. And then you realize that there's just, there's a reason you, that pose isn't well suited for you. Um, right. And you learn more and you work with different people and, 
And so why does it work better than just sitting in a steamy bath with herbs? Yeah, okay, so back to that point. So it's really similar in that, just think about it actually as as mundane as it sounds, but um, cleaning your clothes. Mm -hmm. So you can soak clothes in hot water that have been stained, let's say with anything, with red wine, and you soak that in a bath and it might come out, steam is what we use in dry cleaning steam is like highly, highly effective. <laughs> um, it is that much more effective with releasing um, particles. And um, steam is also super powerful. There's a reason that steam is what powers steam engines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is the crux of it. The steam itself can access, it's, it's warmer, um, but it also can reach parts of mm-hmm. the anatomy that mm-hmm. the bath is not going to reach. Okay. Um, and so, and this is a point of contention. I can hear you it. said clean, so you know where I'm going. Oh, yeah. Okay. Help support clean the water. I should say. I also know that there are some G- OBGYNs right now who are like, the steam can't reach the cervix. No fucking way. But <laughs> I challenge that. I invite you to try. I will totally, particularly if you're in Maine, I will totally set you up with the steam. And we can live and experience this. Um, in our own bodies, because that's the best way to really access our own truth around it. Um, but the steam has access when we open our legs, we open ourselves up, we can allow that into our bodies in ways that the water isn't going to reach. Um, and, and it's that much more powerful. Um, why do we need to, why do we need to cleanse, clean, or heal what's supposedly naturally already self cleaning? Totally. Okay. So um, this is hugely important, hugely, hugely important. So all of our organs are naturally self-cleansing. So we've got the skin. We use exfoliation to support the skin, which is our biggest organ, right? It's really important to support the natural cleanse of our skin. Um, Same goes with the lungs. We do things in our life to support the natural cleanse of the lungs. We do breath work. We do yoga. We get... um, we get movement into us and really consciously bring in breath into the lungs as a cleansing mechanism. Do the lungs naturally cleanse themselves? Absolutely. Can we offer support? Yes. Um, same goes with the liver. We occasionally do a cleanse or we drink certain teas just to support the very natural innate wisdom of the liver to detoxify the body. With the uterus, the colon, I can name all the organs that we support. <laughs> the colon's a really good one because I'm like, okay, on no planet would somebody think that it was appropriate to walk into the doctor's office and say, I have not had an elimination for two years and have them say, hmm, pretty normal. <laughs> Don't do anything about it. Right. It's all naturally cleansing. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening with the uterus. <laughs> Women are coming to their doctors and naming really concerning ailments, missing cycles, very short cycles issues with fertility, chronic pain, intense pain, missing work because of pain, the root cause of that is stagnation. And they are being told the uterus is self-cleansing, don't do anything about it. Or here are ways in which you can address the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not good enough for me. And that's why I'm a huge proponent for yoni steaming. So yoni steaming is saying we adore the uterus Um, we are in total reverence for women's bodies and female bodies, yoni bodies, people, and 
we also appreciate that in our modern culture and in all times, we can add in more support of this natural cleanse. And so you yoni steam at various particular times in your cycle and in your life to support that natural cleanse. And in so doing, are working with the root causes of the ailments that are concerning so many of us from fibroids to stagnation that causes menstrual cramps to irregular cycles. Um, and yonisaming is particularly wonderful and ubiquitous around the world for postpartum care and recovery um, because it is so supportive of the natural cleanse, which is so needed at that time. Yes. So I have some very uterine vulva loving friends who are OBGYNs and, and sex therapists and uh, pelvic floor therapists, beautiful, intelligent women. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to be of service to them in asking these questions and other people, but there's a quote from an article by Jen Gunther, who's the author of the new book, The so Vagina Bible. the like biggest anti-steamer. Yes. I want to put that out, like to contextualize her. Um, it's important to know she has in, she is the queen of anti-steaming. Well, it's interesting how it, it's interesting that we, that, that that's what keeps coming up um, for me or to me as I, as I talked about right, right. Um, learning an about it. GYN and yes. SEO. Um, unfortunately, she has no experience with Yoni steaming herself or with her clients. So it's all hypothetical information that she's sharing. Okay. okay. Then I will I will like leave the context of of her name and the book out of it. But but what she brings up is the patriarchy and like that this is a patriarchal issue um, and menstrual toxins and all the other things that she mentioned. So do you think that the reason why there's so much I guess pushback or controversy around it is because because of the patriarchy and because so much is influenced by the patriarchy that there's the assumption that somehow the patriarchy is behind telling us that we need to clean yeah, because there's an implied dirtiness, even though it's similar to cleaning other organs. I'm just curious, like, why is this the controversy instead of exfoliation? It's just fascinating to me. That is because it's, it's the female body that we're talking about. Okay. Um, Okay. And, and yes, and I hold it like there's so much pain here. We have been told under patriarchy that we are unclean, that we are unwell, that we need to be controlled. Um, Western gynecology has its origins in that story. Mm -hmm. Um, So Western gynecology was founded by white men who did procedures on their enslaved black women without anesthesia um, and were heavily rooted in surgery. Um, And I don't feel like for the needs of this conversation, we need to go further into that, although I'm welcome to. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is about control over the body. Um, Is that shifting? Yes. Is that the origin story? And is it important to know the origin stories? Absolutely. Yes. The origin stories of vaginal steaming go back pre-patriarchy. They go back to midwifery. They go back to women's medicines, religious spirituality-based practices that were rooted in women's bodies being one and the same with the earth. We are bringing that back in to our modern times. That is different. And we're doing that in patriarchy, under patriarchy. Right. So it's very understandable. I feel the trauma. I feel the pain of women like Dr. Gunthry because she, I believe so much in her intent to be supporting women's bodies where I take umbrage 
is her not listening to women who are saying, this is helping us. Mm -hmm. Um, this is different. This is an embodiment practice that's connecting me to my womb space. That's offering me these both physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. Um, and to toss anecdotal evidence aside is an act of the patriarchy. (laughs) It's an act of prioritizing science over lived experience in a way that is denigrating to women. And so do I believe that she is actually perpetuating patriarchy without wanting to? Yes. I would love to have an opportunity to talk with her again. I know that we share I this. I imagine we share very similar intents. Yes, you know, I bet you are pro women's bodies. We're just yes. seeing it from very different lenses. What a fascinating conversation that would be. And you did say science. So it brings me to the question, is there you know, research? Are there peer reviews um, or is it all anecdotal experiences? Yeah. So um, there is not enough peer reviewed science on yoni steaming. And there are lots of reasons for that. Um, 1% of the NIH research money goes to particular women's health um, studies. So there is under patriarchy a a wildly um, unbalanced use of resources to study women's health um, and women's health healing modalities, particularly those that have their origin stories in midwifery, which to promote gynecology was banished um, and denigrated. So we have the first ever vaginal steam study for postpartum health and recovery, which was published a year ago um, by Kimberly Ann Johnson and Kelly Garza. Kelly Garza is one of my primary Yoni Steam teachers. Um, And it's a small study and it's a wonderfully beautiful study. And so is it small? Yes. Is it not as big as we would all want it to? Yes. Was it a starting point? And did they raise $25,000 to get it going just to say, let's study this more? Yes. <laughs> the authors of the fourth trimester? Is, are those different? Yes. yes. It's Kimberly Ann Johnson, who's the author of the fourth trimester, and Kelly Garza, who goes by Steamy Chick. And um, they partnered up because they have now worked with thousands of women with steaming for postpartum health and recovery. And they were so frustrated they're so lovely. I don't even, they, they, they they understood that we needed to have a better answer to this. There is no science. And what we've been saying is we want the science, study it. We don't, we're like vaginal steam practitioners in midwives. But like, so, and so Kelly is, um, is a researcher. And so like, so they put together this wonderful study um, and it's really compelling. And you can go to the fourth trimester vaginal steam study and learn more about it. And um, I have now met hundreds of vaginal steam practitioners. We are all pro more studying of this. We are eager for it. We mm-hmm. are looking at these incredible results and wanting mm-hmm. it to spread and be understood better. Mm-hmm. I dare to say no one, because I'm sure you can always find one example, but very few, if no vaginal steam practitioner is like anti-science, we are craving more science to validate mm-hmm. what we are knowing. Right. What I am also wanting to acknowledge is that from the scientific community or the GYN community, they're saying, where's the science? I'm saying, study it. <laughs> and just as I'm saying, I want more science, I, I do feel a frustration with the absence of them trusting women's voices. Mm-hmm. Um, there is always an intersection of the validity of science and anecdotal lived experience. And I feel like when we get too isolated and too polarized one way or the other, that's where we get into stickiness and problems. Um, and so I'm acknowledging that I have a lot of anecdotal stories 
some science. There is some science that's coming out of Asia. Um, although in the West, we don't trust that as much, even though it's like South Korea and China, great studies about vaginal steaming. Um, but where can we allow in our scientists, our MDs, Western gynecologists to, to trust women's stories enough mm -hmm. to at least study it mm -hmm. um, and, and not denigrate it, um, particularly not so if they have not steamed themselves or worked with women who have steamed. Yes. That's, that's my like concern. Okay. And in a perfect world, we would combine these ancient practices and weave them in with the Western medicine that we're receiving. It's totally doable. It's it totally is. doable. I mean, it goes back to your acupuncture example. Right. You know, like it wasn't that long ago we were poo-pooing acupuncture. This incredible medicine that, you know, half the world's been using for. Uh, yeah. Um, so personal experience, I'm menopausal and dry is yoni steaming appropriate for me yes yes so <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so i do one of the things that i love so much about yoni steaming i thought it was going to be only the physical i thought that would be amazing um and it is and it also interweaves the emotional and spiritual healing if that is the desire of the woman and yoni body person who's coming to the practice um with postmenopausal and women going through menopause all of that is available. So mm -hmm. we have in this transition an opportunity to add more moisture into the body. Um, we can do that through particular herbs. The herbal aspect of yoni steaming is very important. Um, and so with the different ailments, um, you're going to be steaming with different herbs if you're having a short cycle, um, if you're having really long cycles, different herbs. If you are working with clearing out infections, different herbs. If you're going through menopause, different herbs. Mm -hmm. Those herbs are going to be more cooling in nature, more moisturizing to the body. The vulva is incredibly um, sensitive and therefore the pro of that is absorbent. And so it can take in these herbs in a really beautiful way. Um, and so yoni steaming can add in more moisture to the body and to the yoni through the herbs and through the steam itself. It's also a really powerful way to connect to this part of our body when the culture is saying that that part of the body no longer matters. Yes. Um, and I think that that is really powerful. And to the name of this podcast and to the opening of this discussion, yoni steaming, one of the ways that it is most effective, I believe, is through its gentleness and through its connection to pleasure. So it is an incredibly easeful feel good practice. It welcomes in the parasympathetic nervous system like few other practices I've ever experienced. Wow. Um, and so any sort of mention of like, I got burned or mm -hmm. women are being told to burn their vaginas, anything like that, like mm -hmm. has gone way off base from what a practitioner would guide you into. Um, right. And you do want to do it carefully and gentle Sure. Gentle is the measure. <laughs> like it's not going to be pleasurable if it's not going to be gentle. So, so and in patriarchy though, we have this like it's got to be harsh thing, right? No. Right, like like well, exercise it invites it. us out of that. It invites mm -hmm. us out of that. And so, for transitioning into our postmenopausal years, it is so inviting. Again, it allows us connection. It allows us some moisture. It also sets us up to be in continual honoring of our cycle beyond the physical menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you're in, when you're no longer in your bleeding times, you can use yoni steaming as a way to 
still invite in and connect to the very natural cycles that we as women and Yoni body people are going through in connection with the moon, in connection with our creativity, in connection with our sovereignty. Um, and so it's, it's really powerful for that age group in particular, I think, as well as so many others. <laughs> and I'm trying to get the visual in my head. Are you sitting on the seat, texting, watching a Netflix movie in your living room? Are you by yourself in the bathroom and meditating? Like, is it messy? Perfect. Are you naked? Yeah. Oh my God. All of the above. So, um, so yeah. So as I say, you know, intention is so powerful. Um, and is it advised to, <laughs> to take down technology and put things away and light a candle and say an intention or a prayer um, and be with yourself and breathing and connected and having cleaner, um, cleaner might not be the right word, but an easier conduit to the me messages of the womb space to come through because there isn't noise and activity around you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Have I texted and written emails while speaking? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's <laughs> kind of personal. So like, let's be real. And, you know, and it's the same thing again, like to go back to yoga, I know you're a beautiful yoga teacher. Like it's the same thing, right? Like sometimes just doing yoga, being present to the breath and moving your body. Also though, while like thinking about something else or even checking your texts every once in a while, yes. like that's just part of it. And you know what? That's great. That's what you're able to bring to your practice that day. I'm going to celebrate that. Absolutely. You're steaming, you know, Absolutely. like that's great. You're doing it. You yes. are regardless of what is going around you or what you are in action with. You are just by steaming, creating this dialogue with your womb space. That's yes. powerful. Um, can you use it to bring in deeper levels of connectivity and release? Mm -hmm. Yes. When possible, when aligned for you that day, that moment in time. Mm -hmm. um, so I do for the folks who are watching on video. Oh, we have a visual, yes. Yeah. So I so Kit is um, in a beautiful studio areas, and she's walking back to again what looks like a Waldorf toy. I'm just saying, Kit, <laughs> it's a beautifully made handcrafted wooden box. Yeah, so it's a wooden box and it has a lid. And a lid. Lock the lid. And it has a burner inside. It has yep. a big opening so that you can have um, a burner cord come out the back. And so go there's a burner cord out the back. I'm kind of reiterating because they probably can't hear you. And then there's a pot that she's holding that you put in the box. And yeah, and so you keep that up either inside mm -hmm. the box or on your stove pot with water and the herbs that are. Those are the herbs. Um, by your practitioner, hopefully. And then you put that in. Put it in the box. You put the lid on top. Lid on the box. And this is the most important thing. You check the heat and you make sure that the heat level with your palm over the opening is feeling really gentle and really good. So feeling if the steam feels okay on your hand, just like you're checking food that you would feed your children or the baby bottle, you would test it before you <laughs> put it in a, in a sensitive tissue area. Okay. Wait, are you taking off your pants? She's taking off her pants and doing it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. 
I know, I know. I'm like, wait a minute, kid. Are you naked? I'm like, I'm doing the play by play. I'm like, okay, she's now she's naked. Um, now her legs are spread wide and she's showing me how she steams. Okay, go ahead. And so I'm still wearing yoga pants with this because you can see that. Spread your legs wide, open, receive, position it so that your yoni, your pelvic floor, the, the way in which the katarasana is structured is so that you have, the steam has access for the whole pelvic floor region, mm -hmm. um, which is really lovely um, in how it feels, really wonderful at different reasons for oh, steam. The blankie. And then oftentimes you'll just want to use some sort of blanket or towel yeah. Um, I do ask that we take particular consideration to the materials that are used okay. um, because we're opening ourselves up to receptivity. So everything from Katara is 100% organic and all natural that you mm -hmm. can use an organic cotton towel um, or robe um, just bring some extra mindfulness. And then that's it. Yeah. And then if it gets too hot, and stand up. And then you stand up. And so how long would... Yeah. Is it ideal to steam at one sitting? Is I'll just use the terms that I think I'm I'm supposed to use. And then do you do it every day? Ideally, of course, it's like yoga. Of course, we should meditate and do yoga every day. Do we know what is the what is the practice? The ancient practice. Yeah. So, um, so these are such good questions. So we are going to steam for somewhere between ten and thirty minutes. Um, that's going to have to do with your body and where you are in life and what ailments you're working with. Okay. Um, and you can get a lot of that information on Kantara Love. You can absolutely book a womb healing session with me to determine that. But I'm, I'm trying to get as much information out there as possible, but 10 or 30. Um, some of the reasons you wouldn't want to steam beyond 10 include if you have an aversion to heat, um, if you're going through menopause and therefore having some excess dryness or heat to excess heat in the body to steam for 10 minutes because the steam is going to help clear out stagnation and heat and get the moisture in while it's not adding so much heat to the body that it's going to be counterproductive yeah. um short cycles are like that as well the steam is really strong so this is an opportunity to steam for 10 minutes rather than 30 if you have a strong cycle and you're working with stagnation um Again, you can find all of like, there are like seven different sensitivities. If you don't have any of those sensitivities, you can steam for up to 30 minutes. Okay. The interesting thing is every day is probably not going to be the right routine. Okay. Um, where you are in your cycle is really important. Um, another gift of yoni steaming is that it invites us into more intimacy with our cycles, which is inviting us into more intimacy with our bodies. And so knowing what days you are on your cycle Mm -hmm. is in and of itself really a beautiful experience and one that yoni steaming supports because you're really going to want to primarily steam a few days before your bleed if you mm -hmm. are in your bleeding times mm -hmm. but not necessarily immediately before your bleed and then days immediately following your bleed okay so yeah. it makes you more aware and um, yeah. conscious yeah. about your cycles that's beautiful yeah. And then for some folks um, on different protocols, they may steam every other day or every day. That's primi primarily for um, preparing for a fertility window okay. and or working on releasing fibroids and cysts. Um, because I've mentioned fertility, I just want to be very clear. If you're in active window of looking to conceive, you never want to steam outside of your follicular phase. So that was my next question. Who should not steam? Yeah. So there are contraindications. 
Um, the really key ones are do not steam while bleeding. Okay. Um, don't do it. <laughs> um, whether it's menstruating or spotting fresh red blood, um, your uterine arteries are open then. They're doing their business. They don't need more support. There is a risk of hemorrhage. So you just don't steam when you're bleeding. Um, if you're trying to conceive, you don't steam during your ovulation window up until you've either determined that you are pregnant and then you don't steam at all because you don't steam when you're pregnant or if you're trying to conceive um, and you do start bleeding or you have confirmation that you aren't pregnant, then okay. you can bleed at steam. Um, and you, those are the key ones. What about male-bodied people? Yeah, so this is a really beautiful thing. There is ancient um, lineage around what's called lingam steaming these days. And um, even though lingam might not have been the word used by Mayan peoples, um, my friend Alide, who goes by at Grounded Womb Doula, um, she is well-versed in male-bodied steaming. Um, and so I have not yet been trained in that. So okay. I work with women and yoni-bodied folks and hold space for lingam steaming and direct people to that. Um, I'm super excited about this. When we go back to our conversation around patriarchy and the skepticism from the medical community. <laughs> I have this hunch that if we can show that steaming is helpful for prostate health, ah. um, we, might able, <laughs> we might be able to move forward. Or erectile dysfunction. Let's right? like, yes, let's then then research will be found, right? Then research will be found. So you know there are some things like with male body people Excess heat can sometimes not be great, particularly around fertility concerns. So you wanna you wanna use your common sense and you also wanna work with a practitioner that has been trained in this and knows what they're talking about. And Alide is that. And so you can also find I feature her on Katara Love um, okay. because she is so wise and wonderful in that regard. And as always, listening to our own inner wisdom, intuition, inner dialogue about what feels right in our own bodies. It is. So important. And that in and of itself is another amazing gift of Yoni Steaming. Mm -hmm. um, it invites us into that. And our intuition is paramount. And I say this every day, every time I talk with a client. And, um, you know, I give the parameters of safety. And right. within those parameters, it is the individual's invitation to trust their intuition. Absolutely. Um, and if ever those two things feel like conflict, I want to hear about it because I want to be in support of what's coming up on that intuition um, and make sure that we can come to a place where the intuition is never being told it's wrong because it's never wrong and never, never exactly. wrong. Never. There's something, there's another nugget of information that can come through yes. that can further instruct me about coming up with a situation that is going to be safe and okay. aligned with the intuition. Okay. Um, so yeah, I just want to quickly um go through the really key ones to um you can go to katarlove.com and get contraindications, but please don't steam during pregnancy during menstruation, um, if you're prone to spontaneous bleeding or bleeding two times per month, um, and when trying to conceive, do not steam during your fertile window or after ovulation. If you're prone to excess heat in the body, don't steam in extremely hot weather. This goes back to, we just kind of talked about the blanket, but like steam with comfort. And so I 
freaking love advising people to steam in their gorgeous birthday suits. That's really all that's needed. Um, and then check with your birth control. Um, most birth controls are going to be fine. Um, some birth controls, the way in which they function is that they add more mucus to the mm -hmm. cervical lining. Steaming helps clear things out. So you don't want to override your birth control through steaming. I have all of those listed again on Katara Lab. Those okay. are the contraindications. And so um, tell listeners again, it's kataralove.com. Is that right? Yeah. And is there any other way people should reach you or is that all of your contact information found there? Yeah, kataralove.com. I'm super into Instagram these days. So um, you can follow me on Instagram at by Katara, B-Y Katara. Um, and just know that I'm, I'm exploring, I'm exploring how to get out great information about yoni steaming and interweave my background in feminism, holistic health, pleasure, orgasm medicine, um, coming up with more workshops and ways in which that we can be together and be embodied and learning at the same time, um, throughout 2021, whatever it brings us. Um, so I'm super open to suggestions and questions. Um, you can, you can message me, you can share your thoughts. I'm here. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Kit. This, you've been a wealth of knowledge and I, I knew you would open my eyes uh, to, to my rolling eyes. I knew you'd open my rolling eyes um, <laughs> to this and, and hopefully um, we've provided some some interesting nuggets of wisdom to the to listeners and if and if anything um just learning and unlearning yeah. all that we've been conditioned to believe and learning to trust our own bodies and our own intuition mm -hmm. our own inner wisdom and that if this sounds like it's would be good for you and healing for you then absolutely reach out to kit and have yeah. a conversation Yes. Yeah, and look exactly at the right. Just like if it has that ping, exactly. And if it has that, like this is not for me. I see you. I honor you. Cool. An <laughs> empowered no. Yes, we Sorry. celebrate empowered no's and empowered yeses. Absolutely. So much. So much. Yes. <laughs> And so if anyone would like to continue the conversation with Kit, reach out to Kit. If anybody would like to continue a conversation with me, absolutely reach out to me. My website is poshamarlo.com. My email is pasha at poshamarlo.com. You can find me all over social media at poshamarlo. And um, if you did love this podcast, and I hope you did, please subscribe, leave a review, leave a little message, and then share it with your friends because we're new and we need your help to spread the word. Let pleasure be the measure. Thank you, Kit, for joining us today. Such a pleasure having you. And I look forward to seeing you all and uh, talking to you all soon. Bye.